Life is for the Living, a podcast where we talk to people in their late 60s and older about their lives, lessons they have learned, and any advice they might have. This is your host, Rebecca Richman. In our last episode, we learned about our guests' childhoods and their relationships with their parents. In this episode, we turn to their relationships with their partners and children, starting off with how they met their spouses. romance, there is a moment when a friend or acquaintance becomes something more. For Tim and Vicki, married 25 years, this happened through work. I was at the college and uh, it was summertime and my boss came and said she'd hired a couple of people that had not taught before and wondered if I'd be supportive of them. And, and Tim was one of them. And, uh, and so that's how we, we met there. And I kind of liked him because he was more radical than I was in that department we'd have if people were sitting around talking I thought oh god this guy's to the left of me so that's good <laughs> but yeah he and he he'd just broken up from a relationship so and I I was definitely not interested in anybody for a while there so I didn't uh, so were you sort of friends or acquaintances for a while yeah we were friends and then and then uh I saw that he had some woman friend visit him from somewhere or he took a trip to visit. So I asked him, I said, are you interviewing people? <laughs> and he said, yes. I said, well, put me on your list. <laughs> so, and we went out. Tim tells the story of their relationship slightly differently. She shows up at my house in Hillsboro and seems to like the house a lot. And I had a, a trailer full of horse manure sitting out by the garden, ready to be shoveled out. And without being asked, she just goes out there and shovels out the manure. And I, well, hot damn. Nothing, nothing, nothing like a woman who knows how to shovel manure? Oh, absolutely. Al met his wife, Nancy, while training for the Peace Corps. They first met at a social for new volunteers in New York, and Al, ever the New Yorker, did not immediately warm to Nancy. Anyway, I look to my left and I see this this woman in a page boy. And I, and I learned that she's from California. And I think to myself, oh, probably some rich bitch from Stanford. Well, we danced and, uh, and I didn't see much of her until about, we spent three or four days in New York, five days, and then we went down to Puerto Rico where we trained. One night while they were training there, he ended up having quite a different reaction to Nancy. And I looked at her and I, and I just said, wow, she's beautiful. She's beautiful. But Al was not alone in his admiration of her Nancy, so he played it pretty cool. I spent some time with her. Um, other guys were interested in her also. Uh, and uh, I just hung in there, you know, have breakfast with her from time to time spend time. And eventually it was when we were in Peru. We were in Peru and uh, we were at a training center. Uh, we were at a training program and uh, I think we both had a, something to drink. Pisco sours or we both had been drinking. And I just said to her, I said, you know, I have a crush on you. And she, I don't know what she said, actually. She didn't say anything. 
When Nancy had to choose where to go for her Peace Corps stint, she chose to go to the same location as Al. Yeah, we got together. Actually, we, we, the first kiss was New Year's Eve, 1963. So we celebrated, we celebrated the 58th anniversary of our first kiss last night. My interview with Al was recorded on January 1st, 2021. Dave, my dad, and my mother, Linda, met because dad's PhD advisor, John, and John's wife, Julia, who also happens to be my mother's cousin, set them up at a party. We actually met at a um, party that uh, John and Julia had set up, and it was a little bit of a matchmaking thing. But hmm? We met for the first time when you were John's graduate student. I was was John's graduate student, and uh, they had a party. uh, No, the first time was I came to the lab for something. Oh, yeah, I guess that's right. But that, that was, I just started, didn't even notice her. Um, but then, uh, we had this party and, uh, it was supposed to be a celebration of her birthday and my passing my orals for the PhD. And so I should have figured that something was up because she was wearing a rather low cut dress, but, um, I just, just out of my general rule, I always think that people are, have other relationships. And I say, well, she's probably got a boyfriend somewhere. So I just sort of ignored it. And I, we played Monopoly that night and I beat everybody. I, I have a, I have a, at that time it was a Monopoly shark. I don't know what I could do that now, but I really would, was had a bad bloodlust when it came to Monopoly. And, um, and then I sort of forgot about the whole thing. And we finally really met at Goring's bookstore in Gainesville when I was looking, thinking that I wanted to have a date. First time I'd ever had a date, actually. And I was going up to um, the Florida Folk Festival. I was interested in bluegrass and folk music. And I just happened to run into her. And then I walked out of the Goring's bookstore. And then I walked down the street a little bit. And I wonder if she'd be interested in going to the Florida Folk Festival. So I walked back. And I, she was still there. And I, I said, would you be interested in going to the uh, uh, Folk Festival in, in Lake City? And she said, yes. And that was our first day. But of course, to have a marriage that lasts for decades, there has to be something more than just the initial attraction. And for our guests, the things that keep their marriages going are mutual interests, similar moral outlooks, and a dash of humor, even if it is at their own expense. Marcia and her husband, Kurt, have been together for 55 years. Married for 52. So, and we are still speaking to each other most of the time. <laughs> um, well, he's, he's a very interesting person. He's never, never just been a single track. He was an astronomer professionally, but he's doing water issues on the local uh, water policy board and soil and water conservation. And he's always been a learner. So his broad range of interests has extended to me. If he, um, some kinds of reading that he does, I don't do because it's too technical, but he likes, um, he likes fiction. He likes literature. So um, he's expanded my horizons a lot. Um, He also believes in supporting a lot of organizations and that's fine with me. I just can't t- 
take the time to sit down and write checks. So I have no idea what they all are and I don't care. It's just um, a separate checking account and he, he does that. But I'm glad I know what some of them are and they're all good causes that I would agree with if I looked into them. Likewise, Tim and Vicki both really value learning from each other. Well, she's uh, got interesting perspectives. And every once in a while, I have wonderful conversations where there's no value judgments being made and no goals to reach. It's just simply talking and uh, listening. And that's, that's a wonderful experience. Sitting around a campfire and telling stories. Not quite like telling stories. It's not a campfire. But yeah, having some, particularly now with the, the COVID, sort of keeping this house bound, I'm not alone. And I've heard other people talk about how hard it is to be alone. And I don't know if it would be so hard for me because I've been alone in my life several years. But I'm kind of glad to have company. Plus, every once in a while, she'll push me out of the house and say, let's go do something. He's willing to try new things. He doesn't, he's not like, this is the way it's got to be all the time or something, you know. And he, he's introspective. He's willing to, to look at stuff, talk about, talk about what we're going to do. Um, and, he, uh, and he's interesting. My dad really responded to the way my mom treated others. I think the fact that she has a very strong moral sense, and I think I, I developed one too. Because I don't know how, but I was attracted for that reason. She was very kind to animals. She loved animals, and uh, she was quite a charming person to have. We we go out and hiking sometimes in various parks around Florida, and she was a charming companion. Well, Nancy keeps Al grounded. One of the functions of my wife has been to keep me from being too exalted. And she, she's found a number of ways to do that. Um, one of the ways was uh, 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 about 10 years ago, I think there have been three or four stories where she did it, but this was one. Uh, so the, the, someone decided to, to start a tennis ladder, right? A tennis ladder is where you rank people uh, and they're able to play tennis and, and then you can challenge people. You challenge people who are above you on the ladder to a match. And if you beat them, you you get on top of them. It's a way to encourage competition. So a person started the ladder and they ranked people based on what they thought. And I was looking at it and I'm going, how come... How come he's got him ahead of me? And, and and Nancy was with me. How come he's got him? In? And she looks at me and says, that, she said, Al, you're not that good. I think I took it pretty well. With any relationship, there are things about the other person that annoy, and our guests are no different. Tim's pet peeve with Vicky is... Listening. What gets in the way of listening is assumptions and pre-existing programs and emotions, you know, it's feelings that take center stage. 
Marcia wishes that Kurt would talk less. Sometimes he goes on at great length. <laughs> Not all the time, but uh, sometimes. So, but he also is my dictionary and my encyclopedia. If I don't know something or don't know how to do something, he can usually tell me, which is pretty convenient. Mom, who was at the room at the time, was not happy when I asked dad about his pet peeves with her. <laughs> mom, to the audience, mom is currently glaring at us. <laughs> and and, and tr- uh, imitating someone cutting someone's throat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. She didn't have very many um, characteristics that bother me. There were a few minor things. Like she had a tendency never to put a lid on anything. Well, Vicky was annoyed that he's taller than me. No, <laughs> he is. And I'm getting shorter. I'm getting shorter. And, uh, um, Yes, I don't know. I don't know if there's a pet peeve that I have. Tim, on the other hand, did admit that he had to unlearn some ingrained beliefs to be in the relationship. Coughing up the man pill has been interesting. Wonderful challenge. And in some respects, rather liberating. So I'm happy to to take, well, not second fiddle, but to, to not be the, the boss of the family. Because any effort I made at that was simply not going to happen. I also asked our guests their thoughts on parenting and what they learned from it. Well, it's just kind of, it's amazing to, to, raise, a, to raise a child and that they, that they survive. They give you a different viewpoint onto the, into the world. I remember when she started into high school and and there'd be these people that were trying to micromanage their kids and their kids' friends. And I thought, you can't do that because we're not in that world that they're in. You know, the, the young person's in their own world and you need to just totally trust them. And that's what we did and just uh, and always kept it so we could communicate and she could talk to us about things. I'm just in, in awe of what wonderful um, mother she is and how well she's doing and the choices she's making in her life. I don't know that I taught her anything, but I certainly got out of the way and, and held her hand like when she was walking logs and saying, you can do this. This is, you're, you're, you're capable. Did the same thing with her bicycling. And uh, she was so much into denying herself. She tried it once and realized, oh yeah, he's right. And then went back to um, using the uh, support wheels. Uh, but the log walking was a big one for her. And the uh, the horseback riding, the motorcycle riding, the things that uh, were challenging to the common wheel, like a woman on a, a young girl on a motorcycle. Heck yeah. Let her, let her fly. I mean, this, she deserves to experience as much as possible and, and to test her wings and, and all those things. And so I, that was the, the um, attitude I have for her. And um, it's been, it's, I, I think it's true. I think that she's doing very well because she has faith in herself. Because I held her hand when she walked logs. That's what she says to me at any rate. 
lessons that my kids have taught me. Patience, <laughs> if nothing else. And to accept their decisions, whatever they are, and, you know, know that, hope that what they've been taught is enough to let them make the right decisions. And I think it pretty much has been. I just did the opposite of what my father did, and it came to work. But the thing they taught me really was to have a little bit more patience and tolerance and and uh, the ability to, you know, explain things rather than just say, because I say so. Al and Nancy adopted two children, both of whom had some scars from the adoption process that affected them throughout their lives. I can get teary. I think for my son, uh, I learned the power of resilience. You know, he had a hard time. He really had a hard time. And I don't think I give him enough credit for how hard it's been for him. And, he, and he's done it. You know, he's he survived. <clears throat> He's basically living a good life. I learned that from him, courage, not giving up. Al was also in awe of his daughter's leadership. You know, she was the best, the best volleyball player on her team in high school and in college. And uh, her team depended on her. They didn't win. The, they won the Patriot League in her sophomore year. Well, her team depended. She, she had to. She had to carry that load, and she did. It wasn't that easy. So I don't know. Maybe I learned. Maybe I learned. I learned how to help people. How to allow people to depend on me. I know that's one of the things that I've tried to do consciously is uh, be willing to have other people depend on me. That's it for this episode of Life is for the Living. Join us next time as we dig into Quakerism and how it has played a part in our guests' lives. If you have any suggestions about future guests, topics, or just want to chat in general, you can reach us at, at lifeisforthel on Twitter or email us at lifeisforthelivingpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Life is for the Living podcast is written by me, Rebecca Richman, and produced by Marco Borlo. What attracted you to her besides the low-cut dress? Well, no, that, I, <laughs> she was damn cute. And, you know, she also had a very nice personality, I thought.